way to end. Oh, I think that's kind of prophetic, isn't it? Go tell it on the mountain. There are thousands, millions of people at this time, at this point in our lives, this juncture, this end of November as we embrace the Advent, who need to hear the good news of Christ. So let us just, as we took a moment at the beginning, let's just take a moment now. And I feel that some of you need to do business with the Lord just really quickly and uh, talk with him about how you're feeling about disappointment and turn towards him. And some of you are ready to turn around and tell it on the mountain to go and, and give the good news out. So let's just take a moment for those all in the world who need to hear the good news, who need to find the Lord's perfect love. We need to feel they are loved and seen this time. We welcome you, God. We welcome you in our lives again this morning. We welcome you in the city, and we welcome you in our country, and we welcome you in the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, this Christmas time. As we turn into Advent, Lord, let us see you afresh. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Oh, thanks, guys. Love the worship. Thank you so much. Do sit down. Do um, behind the mask. Do say hello to the person next to you. We're just going to take a short break. If you need to go and take the lavatory. If you don't know where the lavatory is, come and find me and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction if you are new and visiting. It's just so nice to have you here. And I'm sorry we've run out of cups. We've had a bit of disaster on the coffee team this morning. So we will get some more um, coffee cups, um, China cups. But do, um, if you want a drink, do come and see me and I'll see if I can find you one. Right, we're going to take a break, but at, up here, hopefully you'll see the notices. So let's take a break.
Oh, how lovely. Lovely to see you all this morning. Oh, at great expense, flown in from New Morden, we have the wonderful, the incredible and the amazing Kim Plummer this morning. Give her a... She's setting us off for the first Advent. We've got four fantastic speakers. This church is filled with gifted people, and we are so thankful for every single one of them and all of you. So, Lord, we'll just pray for Kim. Stretch out a hand. And, uh, Lord, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for this time that we celebrate you, all that you are doing in our midst. Come and anoint Kim afresh this morning. Fill her afresh. Fill all her family afresh this morning, Lord. And come and uh, use every word that she speaks this morning to speak to us in new ways. Give her the keys as well, Lord, to unlock things that perhaps need unlocking this morning. Amen. Amen. Morning, all. I am Kim Plummer, and for those of you who don't know me, it's great to meet you. Uh, Dan and I, we've been part of this church for the best part of 20 years, which is quite scary, since I was up the road at Roehampton. And we've had a few adventures and a few children since then. Um, <laughs> as a church, um, we've been looking this past term at the subject of justice. And we've spent the autumn term looking at climate change, and last week we heard from Neil and the book of James and what that looks like in terms of justice. But today, as Kate said, I have the privilege, as it's the first Sunday of Advent, to kick off a new series where we're going to look at justice and how Advent and the coming of Christ relates to all this. So uh, why don't we pray quickly? Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, would you come and would you um, just speak through me this morning, speak to our hearts. Amen. So when I first heard this brief, this question, the first thing that came into my head was a song. And it's actually an old uh, Charles Wesley hymn. It's called Come Thy Long Expected Jesus. And the words might come up on the thing, but it was actually, it's a Chris Tomlin version that came in my head, which is on my list. And the first line says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And so I've got two questions to kick us off this morning. The first is, who do you long to be set free this morning? Who's the person, the people group on your heart when you hear that, that you think, I long for them to be set free? And my second question for you is, where in your life do you long to be set free? Where do we long to be set free? This morning, I want us to explore together what the role um, the birth of Jesus plays in bringing this about and what our role in that looks like. So justice, the coming, the birth of a baby, some shepherds and a young mum, what does it all have to do with this? Well, before we get into the Advent story itself, I think we need a little bit of an introduction. We need to kind of zoom out a bit and get a little broad overview because the Advent story, as you probably know, it comes in the middle of the book of the Bible. And so I want to put a little bit of context around it for us. As you know, the Bible starts in Genesis and it starts with the story of God's creation. It starts and we're set in a garden and we're told 
that God created the world and it was good. In fact, it was more than good. It was whole. It was beautiful. It was peaceful. And then man, uh, we were in right relationship with God. We were in right relationship with each other. And we were in right relationship with creation. And that all lasts all of three chapters. And then we have the fall and the apple incident. And sin breaks into the world. And in that moment when sin breaks in, that's the moment when chaos and destruction when injustice and death and suffering, they all break into the world. And there's a breaking down of relationships. There's a breaking down of our relationship with God. There's a breaking down of our relationship with each other. There's a breaking down of creation. And as you know, as a consequence of their sin, Adam and Eve were exiled from this garden. But then if we allow ourselves a spoiler, and we jump all the way to the end of the book and we look in Revelation 21, we find ourselves in a city. And I'm going to read to you from Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. There's this beautiful promise of this new redemption coming. So we know how we got from the garden to the exile, but how do we get from our exile to the city? You know, God promised in the Old Testament From this point on, from Genesis 3, he takes on this overarching theme of God's redemption plan, his salvation plan. It becomes all a rescue mission, his intent to make all things right again. And he promised the people a redeemer. In fact, the Old Testament is full of glimpses of redemption. There's story after story, cycle after cycle, where God's people, the Israelites, they find themselves in trouble. They find themselves captive or enslaved by whatever nation surrounding them and they would cry out to God in their distress and in his grace he would come and he would raise up a redeemer he'd raise up a rescuer a leader a prophet someone amongst the people who would come in Moses against the Egyptians Gideon against the Midianites and his spirit would often come on them and he'd help redeem the people of Israel from whatever oppression they were under but the problem was This was always temporal. And what would often happen, not long after they'd been redeemed, um, the people, and sometimes the leader themselves, would often turn away from God again. They'd forget their need for a redeemer. They'd turn to other gods, to other idols, to other things. And so the whole cycle would kick off again and again. In Hebrew culture, salvation or redemption, it was always personified. In fact, each family would have their own kingsman redeemer. We think famously of Boaz in the book of Ruth. And in Hebrew, they called it your goel. And your goel, they were your family protector, your family defender. And so if you found yourself in a dispute and you needed to go to court, you would go to your family redeemer, your goel, and they would advocate on your behalf. If you found yourself in debt, or even worse, you ended up in slavery, your goel, your family redeemer, they would be the one who you would go to and they would buy buy you out of slavery. They would pay your debts. 
But the trouble with all these kingsmen redeemers, for all their might, all their wisdom, all their generosity, they were ultimately flawed, often by their character, but not least in the fact they die. And so God made it clear through the prophets that one day he would send a redeemer who would free them, who would free us indefinitely. The prophet Isaiah declares in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the promise of redemption, an everlasting prince of peace. Jesus' birth in the stable that night, it marks the moment of the beginning of the end for chaos and destruction, of injustice and death. His birth is the breakthrough moment of the kingdom, of the rule of goodness and restoration, of wholeness and flourishing, and all that we see in Revelation 21. How do we get from the garden to our exile to the city? It's through Jesus. Guys, for those of us who long for justice, our hope is found in redemption. And our redemption is found in the birth, death, and resurrection. And will be complete upon the return of our King, our ultimate Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So that's our big picture. But letting going back to the story of Advent and the gospel accounts of his birth, what do they teach us? What do they show us about justice and redemption? And how does it fit in with all that we've been talking about these past few months? As I've been listening to my hymn and reading through the gospel accounts, I've got a couple of things that I think jumped out to me today that I think the Lord has for us. So firstly, and perhaps obviously, the birth of Christ brings justice and freedom and redemption to us. It says in the hymn, from our sins and fears release us. The birth of Jesus is the birthplace of our own personal redemption. He came to set you and me free. We all need a kingsman redeemer. We all need someone to advocate to us, for us to free us. And so if I go back to our questions Where is it that you long to be set free today? Are you held down by sickness? Do we feel captive by our spending habits, our need for more stuff? Are we bound by the need of others' approval or our addictions? Our freedom, our peace, our redemption, it's found in the person, it's found in the birth of the one born in a manger. Where do you long to be set free today? Can I encourage us, let's go to our Redeemer, let's go to our ultimate Goel, the person of Jesus, and confess the things that burden us, and let's repent, let's give them over to him. Because it says in John uh, chapter 8, verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is our way to freedom. He's the place from which we can stand and offer grace and hope and freedom to others. So what about others? Back to my other question, where, who do we want Jesus to set free? As I prepared this morning, I've been reading the book of Luke a lot and the gospel account of Jesus' birth in there. And I don't have time to go through it verse by verse, but I really encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, your phones, open up Luke 1 with me. And if you have time this week, go and just dig into this story again. What does it look like to partner with God 
in bringing justice and redemption to others. What can we learn from this story? Well, firstly, I think it shows us that God invites the unseen and the improbable to be involved. And really importantly, they respond. For those who work in marketing, if you are trying to raise awareness of a new issue, probably the first thing you would do is get whoever's the most important, whoever's the most visible, whoever's got the most influence to come and join you to make that thing, to raise people's awareness. And yet what I love about the Advent story is it's just the cast that is the most improbable bunch. They're the most strange crown surrounding his birth. If we look at the first people mentioned in Luke 1, at Zechariah and Elizabeth, Jesus' aunt and uncle, they were a priestly couple. They were told they're godly. But if we also read the text, we discover that they had lived most of their lives in, in, in disgrace amongst their neighbors because they were unable to conceive, which at the time had brought them such shame and disgrace. These are the first people we meet. And then we have Jesus' parents. The people chose to be his parents. They're not politicians or royalty or anyone perhaps of note. They're this little couple of not much stature from a tiny nowhere place. And yet they're called to be Jesus' parents. Then we look in Luke 2 and we meet the shepherds. And we think back to what Neil was teaching us from James last week about who sits where in the church. These were the guys that no one would really want to sit next to. The shepherds, they were the outcasts. No one really saw them. They weren't regarded as much. And yet God shines the entire glory of heaven on these guys. He makes the unseen people seen and he brings them in, into the stable where they're recognized for all time. They're noted in scripture for all time. If we're sat here today and we're thinking, I'm too weak, I'm too important, I'm too insignificant to partner with God in his redemptive work of justice, the Advent story, indeed the entire arc of scripture, is here to tell us otherwise. God has called us all. We've all got this unique part to play. He has come and he wants us just like Mary and Joseph, like the shepherds, just to lay down any fears we have about our abilities, any words that have been spoken over us about our limitations or set on us by others. And he just wants us to submit, to know that we're invited into this beautiful redemptive story. Do not disqualify yourself or think yourself too lowly. Let us, as the hymn says, find our strength in thee. Let us put the little we have into and partner with all that he has. Secondly, I think the Advent shows us that partnering with God in redemption is not about creating more celebrities. What he desires is humble servants. Guys, we need gifted speakers to be a voice for the voiceless. We need people who have innovative ideas and creative minds. We need people willing to give of their time and energy and all they have. But we don't need more celebrities. God does raise people up, but he doesn't need us to put those people on precarious pedestals of our own making. Or even worse, to try and pull ourselves up onto some pedestal to be the face of this or that or the other. We've seen anything from the last few years, it's how messy that can get. You see, 
for some of us, the danger is when we think about partnering with justice, we can be wooed by all these images of the mountaintop moments, the history-changing moments where someone stands in front of a crowd and shouts, let my people go, and everything changes off the back of it. We rightly celebrate the high points for people like Martin Luther, Rosa Parks, William Wilberforce. We're going to look in the Bible, Moses, Joshua, King David, but we can't forget the contents. We can't miss out what the whole story of their life looked like. I loved Chris Wake's sermon the other week where we looked at William Wilberforce and what it meant for him. What does the Advent story teach us about partnering with redemptive justice? Well, let's look at Mary and Joseph. For them, it looked like moving from anonymity to outcast. It meant sacrifice. It meant enduring shame. In Matthew 2, verse 13, we read that it meant being forced to flee and live lives in Egypt as refugees. And yet what I see in the text in Luke 1 is that both Mary, in verse 46, and Zechariah, in verse 67, they respond to God's invitation with worship. They respond with a song. And what they do is they regard themselves humbly and they declare the Lord's goodness. They make it all about him. They capture his heart for the cause. And they're so overwhelmed by it that they're just willing to submit, to lay down all they have, whatever the cost. And then, of course, we have Jesus himself, the ultimate picture of humble service and what it looks like to partner with God in redemptive justice. God's son, born in a stable. He spent the first 30 years of his life in obscurity. His ministry, he was despised and often rejected. He was betrayed, imprisoned, mocked and beaten before being led to carry a cross to his death. What we learn from the Advent story is that partnering with God in redemptive justice, it isn't about gaining popularity or followers for ourselves. It's about living lives as humble servants. It's not about our fame. It's about laying down our pride and our popularity. It's about following God's commands, sometimes against what looks like common sense. It's about facing setbacks and developing perseverance. It looks like worship. It looks like submitting our plans for his. People, we don't need more faces for the cause. We need people who will carry God's heart for the cause, whatever the cost. And finally, Advent shows us that partnering with God in redemptive justice, it looks like freedom and rest. It doesn't look like striving. The danger of giving any sermon, but particularly one on justice, is that you all leave here rather than feeling free and lovely. You all leave here feeling quite burdened and full of shoulds and oughts and things that we have to do. And that's not how we want you to leave here. In preparing this talk and looking at the lives of the characters in this Advent story, what I saw was there's like a couple of ways in which we can respond to justice. And for those of you who love a bit of 90s clip out, and a flowchart, I have not disappointed you this morning. So hopefully this will help us, if you can read it, probably not, but it will help us bring this into land and show us that the fuel we use to act is so important. So here we have it. The first way we can respond to justice 
and partner with God is this. We have our first uh, circle. It's our moment we become aware of something. We hear a talk, we, we listen to a sermon, we come across someone, and it moves us from apathy or ignorance, and it makes us want to act. It makes us want to take part. And as I said, the fuel is so important here, because if it comes from us, the danger is it's rooted maybe in shame and fear, which looks like the guilt that, oh, I need to give more, I need to do more, I need to, all that kind of stuff. Or it could be in pride and arrogance, which is the, don't worry people, I'm here, I will save you, don't worry poor people. And there will be lots of activity, and there may be some great stuff happening, but ultimately what we've done in that moment is we've placed ourselves as chief redeemer, and anything that happens, we want to control it, right? And so what happens as a result eventually is that we may tend to blow up or we'll burn out and it comes to an end. And so I think there's another way. I'm calling it the Advent way, trademark. (laughs) And um, we have our moment of awareness here. But instead of us, we choose to capture God's heart. We choose, like Mary and the characters we've read, just to dwell in the heart, in the house of the Lord, just to let him fuel and shape our responses. Instead of going, how am I going to fix this? We say, God, let your kingdom come. We say, we want to partner with you. And there will be activity for those of us prone to strive, and it might look like less activity but it will be the right activity. It looks like rest and grace. It looks like my favorite scripture in this season, in Isaiah 41, where it says, for I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of you by your right hand and says, do not fear, I will help you. When I first came across this verse recently, I was like, why the right hand, not the left? It's one of those random bits details in the Bible, and I realize your right hand, this is where your strength is. This, is. this represents your strength biblically in the Bible. And so I'm choosing to submit my right hand, my strength to his and his might. Partnering with redemption, redemption is just that. It's about having our hearts stirred. It's about resting in him, trusting he will do what he says, and being ready to move and take part when he prompts us. And the result, it's this everlasting kingdom. Psalm 23 says, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't we want that? To move from a place where God's anointed us, where our cups overflow, and goodness and mercy, they just follow us wherever we go. Whatever street, whatever room, whatever place we go, it just flows off us. So to conclude, guys, the Advent bells are ringing. Advent literally means it is coming. The wait's nearly over. Justice is heralded through the birth of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and he will finish the work he's begun. He's come to set us free. Where do you long to be set free this morning? And he's come to ask us to find our rest in him, to partner with him. Where is the Lord calling you this morning to put your hand in his, to allow his grace and mercy to follow you as he continues his work of redemption? Amen.